0: Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the privilege of gathering together, especially during this holiday season. But Lord, we want to acknowledge the fact that with with many here, Lord, that it may not be a very pleasant time because of loss, because of just the brokenness and the sin that's around us. But Father, we thank You that this place is not our living hope, but You are. And Father, we hang on to that, and that is what we long for. As good as what we have it here, Father. Any good that is here is just a taste, a whiff of what is to come in all of its glory. May you speak to us this morning as we look into your word in Jesus name. Amen. Good morning. Welcome everyone. Well, today uh, we are going to wrap up the the conflict portion of the marriage series. And to do that, we're going to watch this video, okay? And then we're going to talk about it just a little.
1: It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me. And I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head, and it's relentless, and I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most, is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah,
2: well, you do have a nail in your head.
1: It is not about the nail. and I'm not sleeping very well at all, and all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them.
2: That sounds really hard.
1: It is. Thank you.
4: Ow! Come on, if you would
2: just- Don't! Sorry, I
0: thought that was funny. What does the guy want to do? What does the husband want to accomplish? Pull the nail out, right? Ladies, does that make sense? Yes. No? Some say no, some say yes. We are wired, men, often, and many women, it's not just a male female thing, but many of us are wired to fix the problem, right? Now, here's another question What does she want from her husband? Someone, stand up. Larry. He wa- she wants him to listen and to understand. Right? She wants to be heard. She wants to be known. Now, why is this important? This is what brings... <laughs> what are you laughing about, Larry? You don't have a clue as to why this is important to you. Darlene, would you instruct your husband... All right, Larry, we won't go there. <laughs> we'll meet later. This is what brings what we would call relational intimacy. And and that's important because we have been made in the image of God. And of those people who are made in the image of God, at the core of our being is this passionate need, this desire to want to be known and to know. We want to be understood. We long for someone to be able to look beyond the obvious and not just look at the obvious, but say, What's, who's this person that I'm talking to? We are all relational beings. It was Dr. Gary Oliver who made the statement, real intimacy, that which is knowing and being known, real intimacy, doesn't just happen. Instead, it is forged in... The crucible of holy conflict. It is forged in the crucible, in the fire, in the difficulty of healthy conflict. I have found this to be incredibly true. It doesn't always make sense to me, but conflict has a product that God is trying to produce within us through that means. Now there's two ways of viewing conflict. There is a negative way of viewing it which views conflict as a pain to avoid or a problem to fix, much like the nail. I see what the problem is. Let me pull it off, pull it out, boom, fixed. But the problem is is that doesn't help you to really understand the person who is voicing the pain. Okay? For guys Hang with me on this, all right? It'll make sense soon enough. But a negative way of viewing conflict is viewing it as a pain to avoid or a problem to fix. However, viewing conflict as a pain to avoid or a problem to fix leads to fear, hurt, and frustration. Why is that? Because you're not being heard. That which you long for most is not being fulfilled. The person is not seeking to know you beyond just the surface level necessarily. And we tend to treat people in that way as a project, not a person. And every person, especially when they have pain or something is going on in their life, they don't want to be viewed as a project, right? They want to be viewed as a person. So, whenever we view conflict as a pain to avoid or a problem to fix, it leads to fear, hurt, and frustration. Fear, hurt, and frustration leads to anger. Anger leads to the fight or flee response. Fight or flee leads to division, distance, and isolation. Isolation leads to more conflict, which makes you want to go get cable. (laughs) Alright? Sorry. Just a joke. That's the negative way of viewing conflict. The positive way of viewing conflict is this. Is that you make a choice to step back and understand what's going on beneath the surface. To understand the rest of the story. Explore what's going on beyond or behind the symptoms and ask this question, what is the, what's really going on here? What is this person really longing for that may have triggered this conflict? Conflict is really nothing more like, is a lot like an iceberg. There's always more going on behind the scenes than what you realize. So understand the rest of the story. Understanding the rest of the story will lead us to knowing and being known. To knowing and being known. And knowing and being known leads to safety and trust. And safety and trust leads to increased intimacy. Okay. Whenever there is a conflict, or oftentimes when there is a conflict, a tripwire has been tripped, right? We've talked about that. We've talked a lot about that. It's important that we understand what is behind even that tripwire. If we're going to be able to understand what's really going on, I think that this is behind some of what James is talking about when he says in James 1, chapter 1, starting in verse 19, he says, My dear brothers, let me just pause right there. It's also sisters, brothers, sisters. It's an inclusive term. But this, more important, more than anything, is an identity statement. He's talking to those who are fellow Christians. Those who are saying, we are followers of Jesus Christ. And as such, we are sons and daughters of the Most High King. Understand that because that changes everything in terms of how you deal with conflict. It changes everything in how you deal with conflict. So he says this, My dear brothers, take note of this. Take note of this. Get this, it's really important to him because it's really central to understanding his strategy throughout the rest of the book of James. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Quick to listen, not slow to listen. Slow to speak, not quick to speak. And slow to get angry, not quick to get angry. Why? Because if we are slow, quick, and quick, what that does is it destroys shalom. It destroys that core idea that God created us for, created us to enjoy, and that is His peace and our flourishing in the midst of that peace. And that's not just peace between me and Him, that's between me and you and me and my spouse and me and my children as well. So core to that, core to that is this. Being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. So it's quick to what? Slow to what? Slow to? How many of you are are slow to listen? Come on, this is confession, alright? I don't have a robe and I'm not behind a, a, a thing, but you know what? How many of you are quick to speak? How many of you are quick to get angry? Yeah, yeah. You know what that problem is? is? That's living out of our sin nature. That is living out of our old nature. It's living out of that part of us that God calls us to die to and it's not living into that part of us which He is seeking to work within us. And I want to emphasize this. There are most conflicts, at least the conflicts that I work with and that I experience, are are there because of relational breakdowns. And relational breakdowns happen because we want to fix or blame others before, before we go through the discovery process of asking the question, what's really going on here? What's going on behind the curtain?" What's going on in the backstage? And part of what I want us to understand is this. We all need to be willing to to, to, um, to till the soil of conflict, to till the soil of of our lives through understanding before we'll ever be able to plant the seeds of resolution. Okay? Someone who doesn't feel known or understood will never have resolution, right? Someone who doesn't feel like that the other person knows them, knows what's going on behind the scenes, know what they're feeling, know what they're thinking, know what they're experiencing. they will never experience resolution. There may be a peace fire. See, excuse me, a peace fire. <laughs> there may be a ceasefire, but there is not resolution. So that's great advice, but how do we do it? I want to go through this quickly. How do we get understanding so that the other person, I feel like I know what's really going on, and the other person feels like and and experiences me as a person who really knows what's going on, okay? So that we are known. Understanding begins with empathy. Understanding begins with empathy. Empathy will notice, it begins here, empathy has a sense of self-awareness it will notice when someone is in pain and respond with this holy respect for what this person is going through, whether they understand what it is is or not, and they will respond also with this holy curiosity, this sacred curiosity. Help me understand what you are experiencing is what that is all about. Because right now, I see something. I see that you are in pain. That something is going on. And you may not even understand it, but I know this, at least I don't understand it. And I want to understand it. There's a holy curiosity that is there. It's not met with sarcasm or contempt or belittlement. You're a, why are you down again? What's going on? There is none of that. Instead, there is this seeking to understand. Then empathy not only will seek to uh, a notice, will not only notice someone when they are in pain, but they it will empathy will also move them to listen to his or her story. It will move them. There's an empathy. There's a an emotion that draws us and says, you know what? I really do want to understand. There, I really do want to be quick to what listen, and I really do want to be slow to what? Speak. I'm not going to try to fix you. I want to try to understand you. The problem with this is this. We can listen five times faster than we can speak. Okay? So if I'm sitting there listening to you, my mind can process information five times faster than what you can speak it which creates a problem i'm not listening very well because my mind starts to wander or respond how can you tell if when you're talking to your to someone be it your spouse or your children or a friend how can you tell if someone is not listening very well okay one at a time okay who wants to go first mary eyes what do you mean the eyes Do this. Oh. Watching TV. Okay, eyes. Who else? So, what's that? Texting. Sorry, Brian. You're not quick enough. Okay, okay. Um, Tammy here. Looking at the floor. Looking at the floor. <laughs> you tried, Brian. You tried. Okay. Any other ideas? How can you tell if someone's not listening? Mm hmm. I thought that was a good thing. No, I thought that, okay. Okay. Interrupting. Okay. Joan, what do you think? How can you tell if someone's not listening? (laughs) What's the question, Martin? (laughs) Sorry, Joan, I'll let you off. What's that? Asking questions before they're finished talking. Interrupting. So, uh, how about this? Yes, Joan, you have something. They walk out of the room? <laughs> That's awkward. <laughs> Joe, uh, Phil, you haven't done that, have you? <laughs> oh, okay, I was going to say, we're going to talk some more, buddy.
2: Oh, it was just a story that she remembers you telling about something that you've done.
0: Oh, okay. Eddie) <laughs> Oh, I haven't heard that one before. That's good. That's good. I'll use that with my wife next time. Honey, are you listening to me? You're, it looks like you're looking at Facebook. No, I'm listening, honey. I'm listening. What are you saying What? Whats? Then it goes silence. What's your problem, honey? You're not listening to me. Okay, got it. All right, you know people butt in; they're distracted. Listening means that you're you're thinking about what's going. What um, listening is not, excuse me. Listening means you're not thinking about what you're going to say or how you're going to respond as soon as they stop talking. Listening is not finishing what the other person is saying, and it's not lobbing emotional bonds or gestures. Or murmuring. Those are signs that are destructive. And I've seen that. Roll the eyes. Things like that. Okay, Empathy says this. I really want to understand. And I want to understand not just the words that you're saying, but I want to understand to what you're not able to say as well. I want to understand what you're trying to say. As well. See, empathy compels me to seek to understand before I'm understood. Proverbs speaks a lot about this issue of understanding and listening. In Proverbs 2, it talks a lot about how you get to pursue understanding with everything that you have, everything that it costs you. Now he's speaking specifically about understanding and wisdom in relationship to the fear of the Lord. But that's a good posture for all of life if we're going to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry. Part of our problem is that oftentimes when we're in the midst of conflict, I want to make sure that my wife understands my position, my pain. I want to make sure she understands me more than I want to understand her. And God says, no, let's not do it that way. Instead, you seek to understand what your spouse is going through, what your friend is going through, what your child is going through. You seek to understand it from their side of their eyeballs. Rather than you seek to under, you try to make sure that they understand what you're trying to say. Okay, that's tilling the soil of understanding. Empathy compels me to seek to understand. Now, how do we develop this understanding that leads to intimacy? We're going to talk through this quickly, and I'm going to give you some some Q and A time. Okay, understanding that leads to intimacy. What first thing that we've got to understand? We've got to ask the question: Is this how significant is the conflict? Sure, something a tripwire may have been may have been uh, uh, hit. But in the, the grand scheme of things, how important is this conflict which I sense brewing within me? Is it a high ticket item or a low ticket item? Is it a 1 or is it a 10? If it's a little thing, is it a little thing that makes a big deal? Um, and if so, I think that that's a question I've got to ask why. Kind of what's going on behind in, on my backstage. Proverbs 19.11 says, A person's wisdom makes him slow to anger. And it is His glory, His beauty that God is creating within him through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It is, his glory, it is His glory to overlook an offense. In other words, there are things that we argue about that happen that really are not worth arguing about. I've had people, and it's happened in my own life, I think, that was a really dumb thing to get into such a heated argument over. How many of you have experienced that? We argue about some of the dumb things. The dumb thing is that we argue about them. Now, what do we do with those little things? Do we just ignore them? Do we just, no, we step back and we ask this question Lord, why is that affecting me in this way? I used to get really ticked when I found Cheerios in the couch. (laughs) We don't find Cheerios in the couch anymore, but when our kids were young, I used to get really ticked about that. I said, why are there Cheerios in the couch? I didn't say it quite like that, but that's how I felt it. Is that a big deal? No, it's a dumb deal. But I have to ask the question, Martin, why was that such a big deal for me? And then you get into some real dark areas of my life. And suddenly you learn, wow, maybe that really wasn't the big deal. Maybe the big deal was what's going on in my own life, my own heart. So sometimes we just overlook these things that we so often argue about and instead of arguing them, we just take some time and we ask the question, why is that such a big deal to me? And then allow the Lord to deal with that within you. Secondly is, define when there is a conflict. Define the issue and seek understanding. Define the issue and seek understanding. And what do I mean by this? I mean by this, I mean this. What is my spouse's core concern? What is her core longing in terms of Kim? What is her core longing? What is what is going on in her heart? That is really what is the tripwire that's been that's been pressed up against. I want to understand what's really going on in the backstage of my life, of my wife's life, and she wants to know what's going on in mine. What is the core longing? It's just like when I I spoke about uh, several weeks ago. We got into the argument on the way down to Mount Rainier to go hiking. And she said something, and boom. Remember that? You know, her interpretation of the event versus my interpretation of the event. It really wasn't about what she said, it was about what God was revealing in my own life that really was causing the problem. Okay? So just keep that in mind. It's important to understand what's really going on behind the scenes. What's the core thing? Whenever I work with couples, oftentimes i will find that even though they may be at odds like this what they really long for is the same thing and that's connection that's intimacy that's togetherness and when i if i'm able to help them see that what they are what they are really after is the same thing then there's hope for reconciliation okay so it's being able to get into the skin of your wife or your, your husband and find out what's really going on. What their core concern is. It's about being willing to say, I've heard what you said with your lips, but I'm curious about what's going on deeper. What have you not maybe not been able to put into words? And then to be able to ask the question, what is my core concern and longing that's creating this conflict? What am I really after? What am I really after? And is there more than one issue? Or does it all go back to the same root? What's really going on here? And then what do I need to do or not do differently? Third, what is my contribution to the problem? Whenever there is a conflict and you're seeking understanding, you ask the question of God, and you ask the question of your spouse, "What is my contribution to this problem?" And sometimes we need to ask that question. Oftentimes we need to ask that question because we're oblivious to our own contributions, right? I love in Psalm 139, I was studying this this week, and he says this in verse 21 and uh, 23 and 24, "Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts." And see if there is any wicked way in me. I looked at wicked, that word for wicked up in the Hebrew. And the core idea, while some people translate it as idolatrous and anxious and things like that, what it's, at its core idea is this. What have I done that has brought pain first to God, but also to others around me? What have I done, Lord? What is my contribution to this problem, to what's going on? And then, do I need to apologize or ask for forgiveness? There are nine, Dr. Gary Oliver identified key nine life giving words that can change anyone's marriage and anyone's life. You want to know what they are? Nine words. First three are this I was wrong. I was wrong. And this is what I did. And this is what I said that was wrong. And this is what I didn't do that was wrong. I own this. I own this. It's not about saying, yeah, I was wrong, but so were you. Anybody ever do that? (laughs) Yeah. I was wrong, but so are you. Second three words. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I could have said or done something that would have caused you so much pain. I'm sorry that I could have taken and, in my case, wounded the very daughter of God or the very son of God. Not Jesus, but your husband. Or could have hurt someone who's a friend like you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I just want to say this to say, I'm sorry if I hurt you, I'm sorry if I hurt you, is really just an us backhanded way of saying, I really, I really don't own this. Or I really don't understand. Okay? It's not acknowledging the issue at all. Okay? Please forgive me. Please forgive me. And this is a request. It's not a demand. It's not infrequent for me to run across couples who will say, you need to forgive me. Is that true? Oh, yeah. But when you are the one who has contributed to the pain of another, you're not in a position of trying to exercise power in an effort to demand that they forgive you. That's between them and God. You can request it, but you cannot or you should not demand it. Okay, next. Those are the nine words that will change your life. That can change your relationships. Right? Nine words. What are they? The first three. I was wrong. Okay. Second. I'm sorry. Third. What's that? Hail Mary. <laughs> I own it, yeah. Okay, let's say it again. First. First. I was wrong second? I'm sorry? sorry? Please forgive me. Alright, so that's your homework for this week. The next step in this process is what can I choose to do differently? What can I choose to do differently? Because there was an action, there was something that went on there that we need to own. What can I choose to do differently? And then finally, what can we do differently what can we do differently because it's not just about one person changing and it frustrates me so much when I deal with married couples and they all gets focused on one person's shoulders it's a we it's not an I what can we do differently we all contribute to this situation now what's the end point to all this the end game And it goes back to this. What we started out with was the whole admonition of Jesus when he said, Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be sons of God. They they have a character. They have the character of their Father. Now, a peacemaker is someone who says, You know what? I'm not going to run from the conflict. Instead, I'm going to fight for the relationship. I'm not going to pursue the divorce. I'm going to fight for the covenant of marriage. I'm not going to write off of the, this other person. Instead, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight in the same way that Jesus Christ came and gave it all to fight for us. To provide the way for us. We go and we lay down our lives in an effort to fight to restore that which God calls sacred, that which God calls a, con- a con- not a contract, a covenant, that which God says it's not about you being happy, it's about you being holy. That which God says, I'm all into this with you, as long as you are willing to give it all, I will deliver the resources from heaven to earth. So that you can pursue the marriage that you entered into that you really long for more than anything else and that I long for you to experience. But it requires that we be willing to go through the process that we've talked about like six weeks. I never thought I could spend six weeks on conflict. But we resolve those issues. Those issues. We become a peacemaker. A peacemaker is someone who says, with the example of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will become peacemakers who have a wholehearted commitment to do everything within their power to repair a damaged relationship, develop healthy relationships around the example of Jesus and the gospel, and call others to do the same. That's what a peacemaker is. That's the end game to this. Okay? All right. So I want to take, I have just a couple of minutes where I want to be able to take and ask, give you guys a chance to ask some questions, and and I may phone a friend and do what I can to, to help out. So, all right. So, who would like to go first? Steve O. Santa Steve. Thank you,
4: Marty. Okay, going back to the significance of the conflict. You said it could be a one, it could be a ten. How does a couple deal with it when the guy thinks the significance is a one, the wife thinks it's a ten, or vice versa, and that in and of itself creates more conflict?
0: What do you do? Well, you don't sit there and you don't go back and say, well, this is really insignificant. And she says, no, this is very important. And you think, no, it's not. That creates additional conflict right there because all of a sudden you're diminishing what the other person is experiencing. The goal at that point is to be able to say, Lord, how do I get beyond this? And how do I find out why this is so important to my wife?
2: And and that's what you do. You ask the question, okay. Okay. Why is this important? Why is this such a big deal? Because then it's, it's, again, the seeking to understand rather than be understood. And when it's a 1 for me and a 10 for Tamina, I have to ask that question, okay, why? You know, so that that way I can better understand and be better informed.
0: Yep. So, all right, who's next? Thomas.
4: Yeah, I just have a quick comment. You know, when we were talking about the words that that heal people and you were saying, so um, I'm sorry that I could have done something. I think that fits into the same category as if I did something. I think to communicate your understanding is I'm sorry I did do something. Now, I'm sorry that I did hurt you, not just that I could have. Because when I say I could have, it kind of...
1: Says it's all it. about
4: me, you know, like, well, I could have. Man, I feel bad about me that I could have done such a thing. And so the, the issue is, is that I did hurt you, whether I intentionally or not.
0: Yes. Amen. Good. Sebastian, he's bringing the mic, buddy.
4: What's the role in prayer in conflict?
0: That's the part I didn't get to. Um, I think that you've got to be willing to come together as an individual, or if you're able to as a couple, to be able to say, Lord, help us to understand. Because we know that right now, this conflict is happening because we are choosing to live out of our own sinful natures. But instead, Father, help us to be willing to draw upon Your resources, Your wisdom, Your Spirit, the, the, the wisdom of, of those within the community so that we can understand and resolve this that's that's an, a crucial crucial part and i'm sorry i left that out so okay
4: okay so i got another curveball for you martin oh, uh you always throw those <laughs> you enjoy those
0: <laughs> i do uh
4: so let's say you have uh a couple in conflict and one listens to this sermon goes oh man it really is both of this i do need to go to my spouse and apologize and confess and ask for forgiveness. And they do that, and the spouse then responds, you're right, it's all your fault. So you now have kind of this lopsided relationship where one is like, okay, it's both of us, let's work it out. And the other one says, I hear you confessing, and yeah, I'm ready to blame all you entirely. So I know in that moment, there's a a big temptation to just kind of abandon ship, say, okay, I'm done being gracious, I'm done confessing, I'm done asking for forgiveness, I'm just going to go back to the old way. What would you say to a person in that moment to help encourage them. Can continue pressing in, continue being gracious, even if the other person resists and pushes back and doesn't do the same thing.
0: I think that's great wisdom. <laughs> what you just said. See, so it gets back to what kind of person am I going to bring to the table? When I'm the one who's being focused with all the blame, um, however you guys got there, when I'm the one that's being focused with all, all the blame is focused upon me, what kind of person am I going to bring to the table? Am I going to bring a person who comes in humility and owns what I've done? And then invite the person into the discussion that says, well, let me. can I share with you my perspective? I really need to share with you my perspective if you're willing to hear. If they're not willing to hear, then what, what do you do with that? At that point, the, um, it, it becomes an issue of just saying, Lord, I'm going to back off of this a little bit right now and let's invite someone else into this process. Okay? I've been in that situation and that's it's infuriating. It's it's frustrating for the person who who goes in humility to confess and all of a sudden walks away with anger and bitterness because they got all the blame. But it it comes down to this, what kind of person am I going to allow to bring to the to come to the table? You know in your heart that you're not the only person to blame, okay? So you don't have to give that blame power over your perspective and over your spirit. Instead, you have the freedom to be able to say, Lord, I'm going to lay this at your feet and I'm going to invite the person into a bigger discussion or I'm going to invite someone else into this discussion that can maybe help them see that. Okay, So that there can be resolution. You get a picture of this in 1 Peter 3 where you've got the wife who is married to a non-Christian husband who, is being, who can be very oppressive in that context. And he says, you know what? Don't get into big arguments. Don't make this the focus of your response. Instead, choose humility. Choose the pursuit of Christ. And same thing to the husband who's married to a wife who's not saved. Choose this direction. Okay? And it gets back to at that point the formulation of the identity of Jesus within your own heart because God is using that for that purpose. Okay, does that make sense? Okay.
1: Mary? Well, I think you hit it on the head um, with what you just said. Going back to prayer, sometimes there is no resolution to the conflict at that moment. And prayer is the best advocate that you can have because. Regardless of whatever you're fighting about, the Lord is dealing with you. And he, when we, I have learned to trust the Lord in my spouse. And I think for women, we want it immediate. Why doesn't he understand? Or on and on and on. But the Lord is like, you need to trust me. And you need to trust me in your spouse. Because he is my child. And I am dealing with him. And a lot of times I find that most of the time I sell my husband short because I'm, I'm want, I want that immediate in prayer and going to the Lord before I blow up and stab my husband. <laughs> you know, not literally, but you know what I mean? You know the conflict, in the heat of the moment. It is, it is soothing to my soul to pour my, my, my troubles before the Lord, that when I do go to my husband, it's healing and not more conflict.
0: Yes. I don't know how many times Kim has had to sit back and wait for God to work to soften my heart and convict me of what was going on. Um, because when she would call me on it at that point in time, I wasn't ready and all she does, though, is she invites me, and she one time when I had, had we had had a huge blow-up with my oldest son, um, uh, a, few, a number of years ago, and she, I, I went out on the port on the deck, and I was sitting there, and she says, "I know that that's not how you really feel. I know that that's not what you believe, and I know that you're a better man than that." Wow, I became speechless. Not very often that happens. But I became speechless. But what she did was she invited me into the process of redemption. And she trusted God with my heart. And she says, I'm going to let God deal with you. She didn't tell me that. I would have taken that as combative. I'm going to let God deal with you. (laughs) Not a good, good strategy. So, Larry. Uh, Would you apply these same principles to a couple that is not yet married? Yes. And if
2: so, um, what additional considerations, if any, might you advise the couple
1: to keep in mind?
0: Um, If you're not married and you're experiencing that, I really encourage you to bring in some mentors into that. Because you don't know each other well enough. And you're not necessarily... well-practiced in the process of conflict resolution. Um, so I would definitely invite young, um, a younger couple to invite a, an older couple into that process, so, which I've done many times.
3: I kind of have two questions. One of them kind of spins off of something you've been saying a lot, which is seeking like a mentor or you know, an outside source to come in and speak into your marriage. Well, how do you respond when one spouse is willing to do that but the other is not?
0: okay uh how i have instructed people in that is this i will tell them then you seek the person if your spouse is not willing to but you are then you go because you're going to need wisdom in terms of how to engage him in a healthy productive redemptive way okay so that's what i would say to that and then
3: and then my second question is is you said that the the nine words that Save a marriage, but I, I just wonder it too: How important is it that um, humbling ourselves is not—it's not enough to just say I'm sorry, but to truly be humble and ask for forgiveness, and the importance of that within conflict? Because saying I'm sorry is not the same as seeking forgiveness. When you say I'm sorry, that can, especially in today's society for younger people, that kind of rolls off our tongue so quickly. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. But to actually... Trump card, get yeah. <laughs> You know, you bump into somebody and say, oh, I'm sorry, and you just walk away. But then to actually seek and say, you know, will you please forgive me? And to humble yourself in that sense. Did I say that? Well, yeah, I, but I'm think, just wondering... Oh, how I, th- important I think, is I think that?
2: that when you look at those nine words, those are all, you know, the... I'm, I'm wrong. They go That's together. That's a humbling experience. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the seeking to say, you know, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Those, that, that is... What it's meant to be is that humbling experience of recognizing what you've done you know, owning what you've done and, and seeking to, to get that forgiveness, because I think that is that humbling experience, because if we're not humbly trying to understand each other I mean, this whole thing is about humility and about emptying ourselves
0: Yeah um. uh, computing. Computing. computing, that computing. little old lady in my head's looking for a file but she's getting slower and slower <laughs> So, yeah, I think, I think that it's, it really is a sincere effort to say, please forgive me. And it's, it comes out of an acknowledgment of, yeah, I really have hurt you. And I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to. I don't want to. I want to understand how I did it. But please forgive me that I did it. So.
2: Well, and I think that all these principles, too, though, like, I think it's important to talk about it in the context of relationships. And it's not just a marital relationship, but it is our personal relationships with others. Because conflict resolution is something that, that has to happen amongst uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, amongst people that we've wronged. And so these, these principles are really helpful in all relationships, not just in the marriage relationship. And if we just pigeonhole it here, we're not looking at the holistic view of Jesus saying, be in unity, love one another. And that's what this is seeking to do is conflict resolution is about being a peacemaker, but about loving each other well, whether it be in a marital relationship or in a friend relationship.
0: And I want to close with this. Um, the whole foundation of this is the gospel. And the very idea of the gospel is this. We don't, relationships are not throwaway. They are, they are given to us. They are, we, we, we have to experience, go through the process redemption Um, in our relationships. And that's why Jesus says, even if you're in the middle of church and you're bringing your gift to the altar, and in doing that, you remember that someone, you have hurt someone. Someone has something against you. You leave it all behind and you go. And it's because He says this, relationships are that important. And if they're that important between me and Jeff or me and Stan or someone with whom I'm not married to... Um, if they're that important there, how much greater importance do they carry in terms of the covenant of marriage that we enjoy, that we have been brought into? For better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health, till death do you part. That's, and God says, you can have you can have a marriage that is rich. Not always happy, but is rich. You can have a marriage that over time, if you choose to resolve the conflicts in a way that reflects what, some of what we've been talking about over the last six weeks, you can have a marriage that reflects more and more to a greater and greater degree in increasing measure the marriage that God intends you and me to have. But it's not just resolving the conflicts that you have, the arguments that you have between your husband and a wife, but it's about the transformation of the character through the gospel of Christ, which happens in the context of conflict. Okay. Let's pray. Father, we thank You, Lord. I pray that what has been shared these last six weeks, Father, can come, all the parts can come together, Lord, and make sense. And just enrich the lives of Your sons and Your daughters. Father, help us to be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to get angry. Because we know that Man's anger, our anger in our own sinful nature will not accomplish Your righteousness, Your shalom within us. Father, instead, our being slow to listen, quick to speak, quick to get angry will deform our character more and more, destroying us. So Father, continue the process of redemption in all of our lives as we first and foremost pursue you. Focus upon Jesus, invite him to inviting him to change us from the inside out. Lord, so that we may become the kind of people in increasing measure who experience you to greater and greater depths and experience one another accordingly too.